Have you met a person who's the jack of all trades and the master of all? It's time for the Earthling Spotlight, where we recognize an independent poet or novelist. This person not only excels in their field, but also moves the industry forward. York, who's it going to be this time? We have the head instigator himself, Timothy Kim O'Brien. He's the host of PodRec, Clearly Obtuse, and Create Art Podcast. He's also the author of four poetry books and one fiction and countless works of art. We talked about the so-called writer's block, podcasting, and also Timothy is struggling with a disease. So we talk about what it's like when your health kind of gets in the way, the struggles and opportunities when it comes to that. You also hear Timothy's voice on a later episode called Jimmy's Abduction. So here's our interview. Take note, you don't want to miss this one. Tim, thank you for coming on the show. York, thank you so very much. You caught me at a good time. I don't have any hockey being played tonight, so I am all yours. As I said in my intro, you do it all from poetry, visual arts, fiction writing, podcasting, and also you're the father of twins. How do you have time to do it all? Well, York, most people have 24 hours in a day. I convinced my boss to give me 30 hours in a day. So, you know, that that's my secret. I, I don't like to tell a whole lot of people that, but talk to your boss, see if you can get 30 hours in a day. Now, honestly, I don't know how I do it all. I, it's just my mentality is and my passion is art. I feel a compulsion to do art in various different forms. I'm kind of a jack of all trades. I'm not the best. And I tease everybody. Well, I tease myself. I always say I paint like a four-year-old on crack. But the big thing is, is that I do it. And I put it out there and I put it out for the public. And like Seth Godin says, it's not for everybody. Some of my stuff is really not for everybody, but that's okay because I put it out there and I enjoy it. Yeah, I like that. You take creative chances. You definitely see that you do that with all of your work. You don't try to put yourself into a certain box. Out of all of your creative outlets from poetry, visual arts, podcasting, just to name a few, what area defines you? I think I have to start off by saying that I'm a writer. And that's how I first delved into the art world. I started writing poetry back in, oh gosh, 1988. It was a way just to kind of express myself in high school. I always go back to the whole, I'm a writer first and foremost, and then I use that writing in these different disciplines. And I always find a way to connect the writing with painting. As you know, podcasting, we're writing all the time. We're writing stories, whether they be interviews with people or audio dramas or crazy sci-fi stuff. I always go back to, I start with writing and sometimes, you know, I pull out the pen and paper. Sometimes I'm on a laptop. Sometimes I'm on my phone, you know, doing voice notes to myself, but it always starts with writing first and then jumping off from that point. Now you said that you started writing in 1988. Why poetry? going to tell you a little story here, York, and uh, it's true because I lived it. 
was in my freshman year of high school because I was in orchestra. I had to take this honors English class. Teacher was Mrs. Baxter, called her Battleaxe Baxter. She was, oh my God, she was a pain. I really hated her. Battleaxe Baxter. I'm sure she was a lovely person. If I met her today, I would like her. But first year of high school, I hated everybody. We were doing poetry section for the class. And we were reading out of the book. We were, you know, everyone was taking turns reading the poem or reading a part of the poem, which is not not a great way to introduce young minds to poetry. And we were reading T.S. Eliot. We were doing the uh, poem that was based on uh, cats. Naming of cats is a difficult matter. It isn't just one of your holiday games. You may think at first I'm as mad as a hatter when I tell you a cat must have three different names. Well, I got bored with it really quick. So I flipped ahead a few pages and I saw the hollow men. Hello, men. We are the stuffed men leaning together, headpiece filled with straw, alas. Our dried voices, when we whisper together, are quiet and meaningless as wind in dry grass, or rats' feet over broken glass in our dry cellar. By T.S. Eliot. And something in me just connected with that poem. It's very esoteric. It was. It's very above where I was at that time. Now I'm 48 and it's still above my head. There's still things that I find in it after all these years. And I really connected with it and it was my turn to read one of the poems from Cats. And I started reading T.S. Eliot's The Hollow Men. We are the hollow men, we are the stuffed men. And my teacher stopped me, she's like, what are you reading? And I'm like, I'm reading T.S. Eliot. do not appear. There the eyes are sunlight on a broken column. There is a tree swinging and voices are in the wind. I'm doing our assignment here. I'm, I'm reading the poetry. She's like, no, you're on the wrong poem. You shouldn't be reading that poem. That's way above you. And I'm like, yeah, but I connect with it. I understand it. In my world, in my mind, I really connected with that. I want to write something where I can connect with other people. I think that's the teenage angst that many of us have is that we're trying to find out who we are and we're trying to find out what's going on in the world. And what better way to do that than write poetry and try to connect with another person out there. That's the power of writing. That's, for me, the power of poetry is that I can do whatever format I want to do. I can experiment with that. I can take, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of different styles of poetry that you can do. And I'm learning new ones every year. You can find ways to express yourself through that and to connect with an audience. Just recently, we've been doing these Friday night live poetry readings here in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I'm the old guy there. I'm the grandpa there at the ripe old age of 48. <laughs> Most of these kids are like 20, 21, 22. And you know, I, they remind me a lot of myself at 21, 22. They're coming up to me and they're like, yeah, I felt that. I know what you're saying. And I'm like, no, dude, <laughs> I got socks older than you. It's great to see that I'm able to connect with people 20, 30 years younger than me. And I'm also able to connect with folks that are my age and folks that are older. That's how I got into this whole racket. Yeah, that's really good. I mean, I always think that poetry itself is sort of like the redheaded stepchild. Poetry has been around for a, a very long time. 
my experience of it, when you say to somebody that you write poetry, they may not have the right idea of, of what it means. I think there's a, a romanticization of it. But there's more than just romance when it comes to poetry. I listened to your works. You did the National Poetry Writing Month, or aka Napol Rimo, where you have to write a poem every day in the month of April. For some people, this may seem like torture. What did you get out of it? Exposure to different forms of poetry that I never got growing up. I didn't know where to look for these forms of poetry. I just stumbled upon Napo Rimo. I got my good friend Kyle Bondo. He used to write poetry a long time ago. He's another podcaster uh, in the podcast world. And I actually encouraged him to start writing poetry. He did it last year and he did it this year. I think what the issue is, and, and I agree with you, poetry is very romanticized. People are exposed to it. I guess it's not taught the correct way. Their first exposure to it, a lot of times, is very sing-songy, a lot of rhyming poetry. Roses are red, violets are blue. I'd rather be single than with someone like you. And they think, well, that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, kids get a lot of rhyming poetry in elementary school and middle school and even in high school. I hate to say it, but that's true. It's not taken seriously. You know, it's, it's always... Let's go to the poetry corner. Well, why does poetry have to be in a corner? Nobody puts baby in a corner. Why can't poetry be right up in front of the class and just as important as science, as mathematics, as social studies, as history, as economics, as all these other classes? And we give just a short little couple of chapters on poetry in a four-year high school or a 12-year school experience, you get a little bit here, a little bit there. And what you get is very, it doesn't speak to a lot of the kids. It really doesn't. Or they don't respect it because it's very sing-songy. It, it's not treated as serious. A lot of the poetry that I read or a lot of poetry that I do is very serious. It talks about some very serious topics talks about suicide. It talks about drug addiction. It talks about sexual abuse because, you know, this is stuff that I've experienced in my life. Again, we go back to, I'm trying to connect with an audience member to either let them know, Hey, you're not the only one, you know, you're not alone out there. Or I'm trying to connect out there, trying to find people that have experienced this stuff. And so that way I know I'm not the only one. And I definitely agree. I listen to your stuff and I'm amazed by it. I'm connected because you don't just talk about what people would say, the stereotypical style of poetry, the rhyming style. You change up your flow, your delivery. Some poems are shorter, some are longer. When I started writing as well, writing poetry, I didn't want to do what everyone else did. Some people rhyme their poetry. I think I probably started off that way because I used to write rap songs back in the day. But then I deliberately broke my style. I deliberately broke it up. I come across it in the same way in terms of just, it doesn't have to rhyme. It doesn't have to be about love. It could be about social issues. It could be about emotional issues as well. It could be about the wall that you're looking at right now. The experience that you're having right now, talking with somebody else from a different country. Yeah, hey, I might even write a poem about that tonight. We have the freedom to do that. And that's the beauty of poetry is you have all this freedom to go ahead and write about whatever you want. 
Yeah, definitely. I know that you, within your live streams that I've been listening to, you said that you get inspiration from, from almost anything. I get inspiration all around me as well. Recently, you were, you were diagnosed with MS. What is MS and, and how has it affected your creativity? It's a recent diagnosis. Yeah, that was uh, back in March 19th of 2021. That's probably going to end up being a tattoo on me as well. Oh, wow. I, I do that on occasion. I've got my uh, girl's birthday tattooed on me. I've got my, my wife's birthday, my birthday, and our wedding anniversary tattooed on me. So they're in places that I'm not going to show you here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, not bad. They're on my chest. Nothing bad. I'm diagnosed with MS, which is multiple sclerosis. Multiple sclerosis is a disease that impacts the brain and spinal. What that is, is your central nervous system kind of shuts down on you. Make up the central nervous system that controls everything we do. And sometimes things go away, things come back. Whether it's taking a physical step or solving a complex problem. Back in December and January, I had two episodes where my left side just shut down. The exact cause of MS is unknown, but we do know that something triggers the immune system to attack the brain and spinal cord. Went numb, went weak. Actually, I was with my twins walking back from the park. Luckily, I have twins. The universe was smart about that, giving me twins, so that way I can have one on one side and one on the other. They led me home, but yeah, just everything just kind of shut down. It came back after about an hour or three hours, and I was okay. We've been tracking this now for about five years, I want to say, four or five years. It affects me in different ways. Sometimes it affects me with my speech when I'm talking to you. Like if I wanted to say today is Saturday, but out of my mouth, I say today is instead of Saturday. And not really aphasia, because aphasia is you're not really, you can't really talk, but word mixing, word jumbling. Other ways it affects me is fatigue is uh, definitely a part of it. Depression, it works its way into it. Turning off parts of your body and hopefully they turn back on. Resulting damage to myelin that insulates wire-like nerve fibers is a disruption of signals to and uh, Luckily, everything for me is turned back on. There's different kinds of MS. The kind that I have is called a clinically isolated syndrome, CIS. CIS. Basically what that is, is I have lesions in my brain, about four in my brain, one in my neck and one in my lower spine. So the neurons have to go around this lesion and make new connections that way. So things might take a little bit longer for me. We may be talking about something and then my brain will blank out and then it'll come back on. It'll like be a off switch then on switch. So yeah, it's annoying and it's scary because you don't know from day to day what's going to shut off and is it going to come back on. Is there any warning signs that you get? Not really, no. Unfortunately, I wish there was. Uh, then I can, you know, kind of stop everything and go, okay, I'm not feeling too good. Going to not do anything for a while and then see what happens. Unfortunately, I don't get any warning signs. There is medication available out there, and I'm going to be starting a uh, medication regimen that will help slow the progress of the lesions, because that's basically what's causing this, is these lesions in the, in the brain and the spine. And it's making the connections between the neurons, you know, a little bit jumbled. But there's medication to help stop that. In the past, like, five or ten years, a lot of research has gone into it. A lot of medications have come out. So that's, that's a good thing. I'm, I'm the kind of person, you know, we've already talked about, I do a lot of different kinds of art stuff. 
with this, with MS, I really took it seriously and I did a lot of research, probably too much research <laughs> to tell you the truth. Cause I, you know, I'm seeing a therapist on that right now. And my therapist is like, Hey Tim, why don't you take some of that time that you're doing research and devote it to your art? And I'm like, Oh, that makes sense. Absolutely. So, you know, if you got a listener out there that is going through something similar to this, take the time out and do what you're supposed to do, which is your art. Go do the art. It's not going to make you feel better, but it gets your mind off the issue. Since that advice that he gave you, do you notice a difference with your art? I do. I'm a little bit slower. I'm methodical. I take more notes on what I'm doing. I try to be my own historian, I guess, is what I'm trying to do in case, you know, heaven forbid something bad happens and everything decides to shut off and I don't come back from that, then somebody will be able to follow behind and go, okay, well, this is what Tim was trying to do. This is the next novel Tim was trying to write. We can pick up where he left off and do something like that. So you know, York, if something happens, I've got a few novels I'm going to be shipping to you. <laughs> so you're going to have to finish them off and put them on your podcast because they're crazy stuff that you would really dig. <laughs> That's interesting that you say about how your MS has affected you. I mean, not too long ago, my mind was racing and I saw a doctor and doctor prescribed me with pills because I just had like racing thoughts. I just, I couldn't control my brain activity. I was hesitant taking these pills because I thought it was going to affect my art in a huge way. What helps me as a writer is having chaotic thoughts, of having everything kind of jumbled, disjointed. So I said, if I take these, would I still be able to write effectively? These are the questions that I asked myself. I, wasn't, I didn't ask the doctor. But when I started taking them, I realized, just like you, I was able to slow down a little bit. And I was still able to write, but even more effectively because I could concentrate. I was able to go into a session, a writing session longer and, and have my mind there rather than, rather than racing thoughts. Yeah. And, and it makes those sessions that more powerful, that more impactful, that more the output is better. I'm assuming that when you first started writing, you wrote a lot of crap before you wrote the good stuff. I know I did. Everybody does that. Right now, I'm taking Zoloft for myself to kind of help me through this thing that we're going on. It's an antidepressant. And I was big against antidepressants. Oh, my God. It took me 48 years to go, okay, we'll give it a shot. I feel you on that, you know, on the whole slowing down, taking the time to go, I'm going to write. I'm going to take this time to do it. The output from that is so much better then before when, when I was first starting to write, before when I was taking an antidepressant, it may work for some people, it may not work for some people. It's a science and an art in and of itself. For me, it's working out well. I was very skeptical when it comes to those as well, antidepressants, till I heard somebody mention it on, a, on another podcast. The host of the podcast was interviewing his grown son who was struggling with depression. That really opened my eyes. I just thought of it as, as a mental blockage. You could just get over this. You don't need the medications. But after he mentioned it on the show, I had a change of mind. Medications like that, it does help. Some people need it. You know, it's funny that you mentioned the word blockage. There's something that I'm always itching about with blockage. And you might know what I'm going to say. Writer's block. 
Right. This is Tim getting on his uh, soapbox. I promise I'll get off of it in just like 20 seconds, maybe maybe 25. Okay, clock starts now. <laughs> Folks, he has a clock, okay? He does. I do not believe in writer's block. No way! I really don't. I believe you have issues that impact your time when you can write. You may have some emotional stuff going on that will impact your writing quality that distracts you. But I don't believe in writer's block. For the simple fact that, let's say you uh, have a, uh, a a toilet that gets plugged up, which I get a lot here because I have twin girls. <laughs> they love to put things down the toilet. That shouldn't go down the toilet. Call a plumber. Plumber comes over. Plumber goes ahead and takes care of the clog, and you're good to go. The plumber doesn't come by and go, yeah, I'm having plumber's block. I can't do it. They may have plumbers crack. They don't have plumbers block. They do the job. And I look at writing and I look at art as a job that I choose. The calling is something that I'm taking on. So for me, it is a job. I want to be serious about it. I don't want to be just writing poems just because it's Tuesday at 3 p.m., I write poems because I'm trying to express myself. I'm trying to reach out to an audience. I'm trying to have an audience reach out to me. It's something that I feel I have to do. I have a compulsion to do it. So if I'm going to be serious about it and I'm going to treat it like a job, gosh darn it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it happen. When we experience this quote-unquote writer's block, some people can get really scared because they're like, oh, I'm not going to be inspired again. I've lost the, the muse and all that. You haven't lost the muse. The muse is with inside you. And the inspiration for me is all around me. The world is my inspiration. I'm, I'm amazed that we have all the stuff that we have. I'm amazed that I can sit here and talk to you. I'm here in, in the United States. You're there in Canada. And we're sitting and having a conversation. That wouldn't have happened 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Didn't have the technology for this. This is fantastic. Maybe I get geeked out for the smallest things. I try to keep that childlike wonder. And I think, you know, having my kids helps me do that. Yeah, that's really good. Speaking about your children, you wrote a book, which I purchased not too long ago. It's called The Two Princesses. Before I read the book, I was thinking that this may not be for me because you dedicated this book to your twin girls. Tim, I was amazed. I don't know how you came up with the idea. It's an incredible book what I call a modern day classic. And I would recommend this book for children. I even, I give you a five-star rating on Amazon. This is not just a book for children. This is a book for everyone. The way that you write it, the ideas, you didn't put too much detail into it because it is a children's book, but you left enough details for the adults. It's a mixture of amazement, of fantasy, family. How did you think of this idea? Well, York, I like telling stories to my kids. I like telling stories to my wife. I like telling stories. <laughs> Sit with me for five minutes and I'll tell you 20 stories. This was actually birthed from a bedtime story. I told my girls they didn't want to go to sleep. I'm not, I'm not going to do a whole lot of spoilers here, but they just simply did not want to go to sleep. So I was like, what can I do? What can I do? Let me tell them a story about them not wanting to go to sleep, but we just change it, change them into princesses and all that. 
It's actually my first attempt at writing a children's story. It's one of those things that I wanted to leave a legacy for them. So that way they would have that story for the rest of their lives. And maybe they can pass it down to their kids. But then I was like, well, I think other people, other fathers can tell the story just as well. That's why I put it out there into the world. I wanted to share it with other folks. It worked on my girls. It put them to sleep. And I think part of that is just the timber of my voice and how I talk and how I talk to them. It's very nice and relaxing. That's the story behind the story is that it's a bedtime story. And when I became a father, I found all these great stories out there. My wife is a very voracious reader. Me, I can do about 20, 30 books a year and and I'm fine with that. But I was looking for stories and I didn't find a whole lot of stories about twin girls. If I'm not going to find it, I'm going to create it. I created it, especially for them. I kind of put my spin on it. I could have kept it really simple just for the kids. And and that's not how I do things. I want to add a little extra stuff to it because I would like them to read it when they're 18, 25, when they're 30, they have their own children, pass it on to their kids. I think it's a book that you can tell your kids and then your kids can grow up with the book. It's my first attempt. I liked it. It worked. I'm good. I think you should write more children's books. The good thing about this book is that it, it's short. You deliberately made it short. I think you just have a natural gift. Well, now, now you're making me blush. Now you're making me blush a whole lot. And I'm sure your listeners are going to be able to see that through their earbuds. No, but I'm serious, Tim. I mean, what you wrote is a gem. This is an absolute gem. I could see a series behind this as well. Many years ago, I wouldn't be able to uh, take a, a compliment like that. Coming from you... That is very high praise, and I want to acknowledge that, and I want to thank you for it. Sometimes as writers, we kind of get into our own little view and our own tunnel vision of the world, and sometimes it's hard for us to take praise because we're like, no, no, I'm not that good. But this is the kind of thing that I got into writing about is to reach out to my audience, talking to one of my audience members, and you're talking to one of your audience members here, and I think that's just a fantastic thing that's happening here tonight with every episode of our podcast with everything that we put out in books whether it's be an ebook or a physical book again stuff i get geeked out about you know i hope others get geeked out about it too and if that's the case well you now you know somebody else that's as geeked out as you are you were one of the hosts of a live poetry slam in chicago called word up poetry slam What was the inspiration behind this? Oh, you have done your homework on me. (laughs) I was working with a group out there called Salsation. They are a Latino improv troupe. I ran into them in Chicago. I was uh, doing a veteran art project. It was a group of veterans that were doing art things. And they came in and they said, hey, we want to do some improv with you guys. And I was like, okay, yeah, I can do that because I've got a theater background and I've done improv in the past. They were like, hey, Tim, we're doing this thing. You come in and write a show and then end of the day, we perform the show. So you come in in the morning and then we do the show in the evening. And it's like 10 hours of just rehearsal, writing, and just you're exhausted by the time the thing's done. Well, my director, Ramon Chavez, and I became good friends We shared a love of poetry because we would go to the Green Mill Lounge in Chicago, which hosts a poetry slam. And we were sitting, drinking some adult beverages, 
we were sitting thinking, you know, why don't we just kind of put poetry and improv together? So what we did, we set it up to be the first part. You read your poem, uh, just like you do at a poetry slam. Societal sculptures fade away like water paint on a lean canvas. You get scored by the judges. Top three scores, they go on into the second round. An idea is tossed out from the audience. And then they have to write a poem and perform it within three minutes. And then you're scored again. And then whoever wins that, whoever gets a higher score off of that, wins. And we gave them like five bucks and a little trophy. We gave them a free ticket to the next salsation show. It wasn't a huge prize, but once people started hearing about that and starting attending that, it was a really great time. We had an initial host. He got busy doing something. And then I was like, well, we need a host. I'll host it hosted poetry readings before in the past it was mildly successful i'm not going to say it swept the nation obviously it didn't but for the effort we put into it i think it was mildly successful could we have done uh, better things sure but i was happy with it were you also performing improv i was the token white guy in this latino improv troupe they needed a you know a, a dumb white guy boom i am their man my baloney has a first name. It's H-O-M-E-R. My baloney has a second name. I can play that really easily, too easily some days. <laughs> I've done theater and I've done improv before in, in, in college, yeah. With your other podcasts, I've been listening to Create Art Podcasts for quite a while. You have a couple of different ones. Before I listened to the Create Art, you had the Chemo's Den of Iniquity. Why the name change? Submitted my uh, podcast to another show called Podcast Rodeo by uh, Dave Jackson, 100 Bucks Dave Jackson. That's where he listens to podcasts and you pay five bucks, tells you what he thinks about it. Welcome to episode number 288 of the Podcast Rodeo Show. I'm your host, Dave Jackson. He didn't know what KDOI stood for, and that stands for Chemo's Den of Iniquity. But, you know, in every episode, I say what it stands for, and but I just shorten it to KDOI. Kind of sounds like a radio station out in the West Coast uh, here in America. When somebody heard KDOI or even Chemo's Den of Iniquity, they didn't know what the podcast was about. When somebody hears Create Art Podcast, it's pretty obvious we're, we're talking about creating art. I was trying to get too cutesy, too artsy with KDOI Podcast. It wasn't targeting the audience that I was trying to target. And the audience I'm trying to target with it is folks that they don't consider themselves an artist or they're thinking about doing some art. They want to know how to get involved in art. They hear all these buzzwords and all these big words and big ideas. And I try to break those down for folks, try to give them ideas for art projects. And so I wanted it to be simpler for somebody to first off find and then to jump into. They're going through their podcast app. And they're like looking for arts and humanities and they see you create our podcast. Well, I want to create art. Let me take a listen to that. And that took years and years and years because with KDOI, that's been under a few different iterations. The last iteration of it was to help folks out with their art. Why well, switch it over to create art podcast? It's a lot easier for people to approach. I got introduced to you, not through not through KDOI or Create Art Podcast, so you called it, but through Podrect. Hi, this is Timothy Chemo Bryan. And this is Kyle Bondo. 
And you're listening to Podwrecked, where we help you survive. Your Are you still going to be doing that show? We've backslidden a little bit on that, but it's a podcast for podcasters. Kyle and I, uh, Kyle Bondo, which is his real name. When I first met him, I was like, that's not your real name. And he's like, here's my driver's license. Yes, it is. We knew that there is a lot of podcasts about podcasting from hoity-toity people that are making a lot of money doing podcasting. And, and God bless them. But we're approaching it from the hobbyist podcaster, the amateur podcaster, kind of the blue collar guys, trying to take a look at the news, take a look at what's important and break that down for our listeners. Listen to a lot of podcasts about podcasting and a lot of the information contradicts each other. So then where are you left? Do I listen to um, uh, this guy or do I listen to this guy? People don't know. So we, you know, we're, we're trying to fill that gap. We, we've had Dave Jackson, for instance. He's a big name in, in the podcasting world. We've had Matt Passion. He's an audio engineer that, that we personally know. We just try to break stuff down, make it simple for everybody to encourage you to make better podcasts for yourself and to be more successful with it. If you listen to PodRect, are you going to get 100,000 downloads next week? No. But if you listen to PodRect, you're going to get our ideas, our research, things that we're passionate about. And Kyle's passionate about certain things in podcasting. I'm passionate about other things in podcasting. And it's a nice amalgamation of the two. And we have fun with it. I think every episode, we edit about three hours of laughter. <laughs> we really do. Because we crack each other up. But, you know, we go into it. There's a lot of news about different things happening in podcasting. And we try to break that down for you and go, this is what's important to you. And this other stuff, maybe not so important. When you're starting off with a podcast, do you need an RE320 like I use? No, that's a $300 microphone. You can use an ATR2100 for your entire career and be fine with that. Podcasting can become an expensive hobby. I have a uh, mixer that I have uh, collecting dust, cost me a hundred bucks. I never use it. Why? Because I use digital recorders now and I use my laptop. We just actually had a library in my local area here open up a thing called Create Space where they have a, a sound booth that has video and audio in there and I can go in there anytime and use it whenever I want to and I can get really great sound from it. That's basically PodRect in a nutshell, yeah. You always end your Create Our Podcasts with create more than you consume. And clearly, you're living up to that mantra. What drives you to do all of this? World domination. Just pure and simple. That's why I had twin girls. So that way they can take over after I'm done. Kind of like pinky in the brain. Exactly. Now we got to figure out who's pinky in the brain between the two of us. I think you're the brain. Oh, no, I'm not sure about that. Probably your twin girls are the brain. I think so. I'm definitely pinky. I am. Definitely, Pinky. Create more than you consume. I was looking for a tagline. I was tossing out stuff to my wife, and she's like, create more than you consume. And I was like, I am so stealing that from you. Here's the thing. We have these wonderful little devices in our pockets, these smartphones. We have internet. We have all this stuff coming at us. We can sit and be passive consumers of all this stuff. I can't be. I, it's in my DNA. It's just in my mind. Why have 30 hours in the day versus 24 hours in the day? It's kind of like the metric system. I go on the metric system. Everyone else goes by the English system. 
I feel the need to create. I feel the compulsion to create. If I wasn't doing writing, I would be doing something else. I'd be doing music. I'd be doing painting. I would be doing crop circles in my backyard. I would be doing something. I have to. I I don't know if it's a mental illness or if it's a learning disability. (laughs) I haven't been diagnosed with that. But it's just it's something I've always had in me. You know, when I was in school, the teacher would do their lecture and I would be doodling on the side, taking notes, but doodling on the side. So I can kind of split my focus like that, you know, take the information in that I need to get in, but then process it and put it in a doodle or a poem or a painting or something else while that's happening. It's a compulsion for me. I haven't been able to overcome it and I don't plan on overcoming it ever. Well, it's a very good compulsion. If you look up creativity in the dictionary, they'll see your face on it. You are the epitome of what a creative artist should be, a person that constantly takes chances. You're the type of person you could put into a room that has only four walls and nothing there, not even a window, but you could still create. You could find something creative about that. People like you are very rare. There's a lot of people, they they say, I need to be on, on a mountaintop with a canvas. I need to be in France and looking at the flower fields. I, I, I need to be somewhere else rather than where, where I'm at to create. Or I need to be in a really messed up relationship and severely depressed in order to write. But you don't do that. You're studious enough. You have a clear mind. You say that this is my job. I'm called to this. I have an obligation. If it's sunny outside, if it's raining outside, it doesn't matter to you. You're, you're determined. Artists out there, writers, poets, painters, they need to look at you as a benchmark, as a gold standard for their creative endeavors. So thank you very much, Tim, for being on the show and also for being a fabulous earthling. York, thank you uh, so much for everything that you do. I take what you have said here. I take this compliment. I am going to remember it. And anytime that I get down to myself, I'm going to say, hey, listen, I know York thinks this about me. So at least I have one person that thinks this about me. So thank you for giving for giving that to me. Please continue to do what you do. If nothing else, you have a listener here in Richmond, Fredericksburg, Virginia, not even Richmond anymore that it was listening to everything that you do. So thank you for doing what you do. Thanks a lot, Tim. All right, you take care. Thank you, you too. To purchase all of Timothy Kimo Bryant's books, you could go on his website, createartpodcast.com. There's also a link on my website, poeticearthlings.com. Special thank you to Tiffany C. Lewis, Jennifer Willis, Brent Stark from The Most Precious Commodity. Also, I was interviewed recently on a podcast called Autastic Audio. Thank you, Chris, for the interview. All the links is on my website, poeticearthlings.com. Special thank you to my big brother, Elvis. Also, there's one more thing. Um, Brain, 
what are we going to do on the on the next episode? Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world.